What is a mature Christian? Are, are you a mature Christian? If you consider yourself a Christian, are you a mature Christian? Seriously, give it some thought. Right now in your seat, silently, ask yourself the question, are you a mature Christian? I'm going to guess most of you said, yeah. Maybe with some caveats. Maybe humbly you said it, but you thought, yeah, I am a mature Christian. And this morning, what I want to do is push back on that a little bit. Not out of disrespect, not to, to make you feel bad, but what I want to do is let Scripture define that word for us. I want to let Scripture give us a picture of what Christian maturity is. And so today, uh, we're going to look at Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. And if that sounds familiar to you, uh, it should, because we preached on the same text last week. Now don't worry, uh, this is a different sermon, same text, different sermon. i got something else to say this morning, but as we read it, um, I want you to try and put yourself in the scene, okay? I want you to imagine that you are there. Don't imagine that you're Jesus, but don't imagine that you're the rich man either. Just be there. Be observing what's happening. Look at this interaction between Jesus and, and focus specifically on him. What's the expression on his face? What's his attitude? What does he say? Pay close attention to it as we read it together. It's Matthew, it's Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. And as he, as Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him, knelt before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I want us to see a few things from this passage. I want us to see that mature people love others. And our immaturity is the result of a multitude of sins. But the road to maturity begins when we receive God's love. That's where we're headed this morning. Mature people, they love others. I was recently listening to a lecture on racial reconciliation in the church. It was uh, given at a church, there was a pastor speaking, and he said that in his 30 years of ministry, in his 30 years of addressing this subject, the biggest lesson he had learned was that if you are going to have this conversation, it needs to be led by mature Christians. 
And he gave an example of how sometimes in their church they used to have panels with different people uh, answering questions and having a conversation for others to watch. Um, and in one particular instance, he had a woman who was very qualified. She had degrees in the subject. She'd been to Harvard. And yet, whenever certain people would speak or ask particular questions, she would become triggered, she'd get angry, and derail the whole thing. Now, after he gave this lecture, he took some questions. And, of course, the very first question that someone had to ask was about that comment. He said, well, given that, that everybody's different, everybody has different personalities, people react differently to different situations and circumstances, uh, they have different personalities. What does it mean to be mature? In your definition, what does it mean to be mature? Let me ask you that question. What is a mature Christian? It's kind of similar to this question, right? It's kind of similar to the question the rich ruler is asking to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy who has done all the right things. He's been an honorable man. He has a, a good reputation in society. He's kept all the commandments of God. And he comes to Jesus and he says, have I done it all? Am I there yet? Am I mature? What, what else do I need to do? What's, what's left? Have I made it to maturity? In the evangelical world, in our little corner of Christianity, if you ask the question, what is a mature Christian? You probably would come up with an answer something like this. Well, first, you need to repent of your sins. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Call him the Lord of your life. And then after that, you need to join a church and attend that church and probably a Bible study as well. And you need to read the word on your own. And you need to pray. And you should probably develop some kind of quiet time, some kind of habit uh, to, to connect you personally to God. And maybe on top of that, if you really want to be mature, you should read a few extra books. Maybe Mere Christianity or Prodigal God, or Purpose Driven Life, or a theology book, so you can understand the core doctrines of your faith. And you know what? It would be really great. You should have someone disciple you. And by that we mean you should have someone meet with you regularly and, and go through some sort of curriculum. I used to be a missionary with a parachurch organization, and, and we did just that. We had seven documents that you would go through week after week, and that was called discipleship. And once the people had been through that, we could check off the box that they had been discipled. The roadmap varies. That may not be the specific path you would have identified, but it's, it's always something like that. A laundry list of tasks that you can do, and many of us have done. A list of tasks that you could stand before the Lord and you could say, all this I have done from my youth. But back to my story, that pastor who was speaking, you know the answer he gave when he asked, what is a mature Christian? He said, mature Christians love people. Mature Christians love people. Now that statement alone could get you into trouble, right? Because if we go with our culture's definition of love, it just means 
blanket acceptance of everything about every person without ever mentioning any bit of truth. Of course, that is not maturity, and that's not going to get you to maturity. But I do think that's the answer. I think that is the answer that Scripture gives. Mature Christians love people. This summer, when I was on away, uh, you all went through 1 John. Do you remember 1 John chapter 4? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Or even better, Jesus himself. At the Last Supper, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So what does that love look like? Jesus says, love as I have loved you. What is Christ's love like? How is it different from our world's definition of the love? Well, I think Paul gives us a good place to start. That famous passage. Read at a lot of weddings. Probably familiar with it. He says, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels that have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Got it all mapped out there for you so you can look at the bullet points. If you're, if you're trying to define Christian love, that's an okay place to start. Those are some good characteristics of how Christian love is a little, it's, it's a lot different from the world's definition of love. But, if you really want to know Christian love, if you really want to see it and experience it, you need to go and see Jesus. You need to get in the Gospels and look at how Jesus interacts with people. People from all different walks of life. People in all different situations. This passage that we've been reading is a perfect example. Mark, he breaks into the story, right? To specifically point out to us Jesus' love. Verse 21, it says, Jesus looks at him and what? You can say it. He looks at him and what? Loves him. Mark's trying to tell us, if you want to understand this story, if you want to get what's happening in this moment, you need to understand Jesus' love for this man. And as we look at Jesus' love there, I think there's two things that really stand out. First, Jesus' love is an other-centered kind of love. Maybe when we read this story, I'm 
you're a Christian, I'm sure you've read it before. Maybe you've heard sermons on it before. A lot of times we see the rich man in this passage, and we kind of smirk when we hear his question. We kind of smirk when we imagine this guy telling Jesus he's kept all the law from his youth. But not Jesus. He's not smirking at this guy. He's not belittling him. He's not mocking him for his lack of understanding. And you know what else he's not doing? He wasn't calculating. He wasn't thinking. Jesus was not thinking how he could gain something from this interaction. And that's important. This poor carpenter, who was followed by a bunch of fishermen, who had no place to lay his head, not for one moment consider how he might sign up this rich, moral guy with a good reputation to join his crew. Who could have probably fattened their collective purses. Who maybe would have helped him to advance his cause. He wasn't thinking about what he could gain from that interaction. Jesus cared only for that man's soul. And because of that, when Jesus expressed that love, he didn't speak to him with half-truths. He didn't try to flatter him. He said something hard. Something that was going to set him on a journey to self-discovery. He did that, Jesus did that, because he loved this man more than he loved himself. A mature love is an other-centered love. The other thing we notice about it is that Jesus' love is present. I'm a task-oriented person by nature. If you know me, you know that's just who I am. I'm a clock, watch checking, get to the next item, check off the box, think about what's, what's happening, uh, always a little bit distracted. But the love of a mature Christian is a present love. If you go back and you look at the life of Jesus through that one lens, presence, you're going to be blown away. You're going to be blown away by the way Jesus sees people. He sees them. Did you notice the first line of our text as I had you think about the scene? Remember how the story starts off? It says, as he was setting out on his journey. As they were just getting ready to go on their journey. Think about that for a second. What are you like when you are setting out on a journey? You've got the car packed. You're ready for the big road trip. You're heading out the door. Uh, just about to go to work for the day. If you want to be sure to get... To not get my attention, to find a, a distracted uh, and, and, and irritated person, come and talk to me when I'm on my way to my first appointment in the morning. And Melissa can vouch for this. This actually happens pretty frequently in our home. My wife, being a, a wonderful woman, will often grab me on my way out the door and say, hey, let's, let's pray. Let me pray for you before you leave. And I'm going to be honest. <laughs> it's torture. I can't stand it. I am, I'm fidgeting. I'm looking longingly at the door while I, where I see my bike waiting for me. I'm imagining the grains of sand slipping through the hourglass of my day. 
But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus wasn't the kind of person who checked the notifications on his phone while he's talking to you. He didn't multitask when he was dealing with his people. He cared about people more than he cared about appointments. He was present. Just a few chapters before this, Mark 5, another great example. Do you remember the story where Jesus is, and his disciples, they're rushing to help Jairus' daughter, this very influential leader. She's on the verge of death. And in the middle of, of, of heading to reach her, it says a woman reaches out and touches his garment and she's healed. This woman had been suffering from uh, blood flow that, that had lasted 12 years. In other words, not urgent. It had been going on for a long time. But in that moment, Jesus stops. He sees her. He takes the time to engage her. To teach her. And only then does he move on. Mature Christians love people. They love them with a present, other-centered kind of love. So let me ask, does that describe you? Maybe not. But there's a reason for that. Our immaturity is the result of a multitude of sins. I shared some of my particular tendencies with you guys some of my particular weaknesses, but I'm ima- I imagine that you might not be exactly like me. Maybe you don't struggle in the exact same way that I struggle. We all have different personalities. Um, but what I'd like for us to do here is, is just to consider, I want you to consider yourself. In fact, I'm going to ask you, just for a few seconds, close your eyes. I want you to think about your own shortcomings. I want you to think about where you have struggled to love recently. Now as you're thinking of that moment or that habit, now I want you to go back to our scene and I want you to put yourself in the rich man's position. I want you to imagine that you are standing in front of Jesus' gaze. Jesus is looking at you. He's present with you. He sees you. And you're exposed. Just like the rich man, he can see every bit of your sin. But now, what is his heart toward you? He's looking at you. And he's loving you. I want you to ask him right now in your heart to show you where you lack maturity. Where and how are other people harmed by my deficient love? Ask him, where are my blind spots? What do I lack? All right, open your eyes. I want to emphasize here, I want to especially speak to you who really do think you're mature. People like me. 
people who believe they've moved to the phase of their life where they're mostly teachers now, where they're mostly experts. They've moved on from the, maybe here and there they'll learn something new, but most of the time you're, you're not learners. To you especially, I want you to ask the question, how do other people experience my effort to love them? Is it like that list? Is it present? Is my love other-centered? Is it patient and kind? Or is it judgmental? Is it harsh? Is it manipulative? Do I avoid speaking hard truths to the people in my life? Or am I too quick to point out people's shortcomings? When I do speak hard things, if I ever do, is it welcome? Or is it perceived as presumptuous, abrasive, maybe even self-righteous? There's a famous pastor not too long ago who in his early 20s planted a church and it just took off. He became a, a Christian celebrity of sorts. He wrote books, books on Christian doctrine, books on Christian life, books on marriage. And these books, they were bestsellers. He planted churches, dozens of churches, hundreds of churches all around the globe, had this enormous ministry. But it came out that all the while, he was unloving and cruel to the people around him. That it was easy for him to see the sins of other people, but he rarely acknowledged any sins of his own. And eventually it got so bad that the elders of his church came to him and confronted him, and when he denied it, he was removed from his position. Maybe you can relate. But you know, what might be even easier for us to relate to is the story of another Christian woman I heard about who went to a salon to get a new haircut. She'd been ready, let her hair grow out, was ready for this new cut, came with, with pictures on her phone, this description, this great idea of what it was going to be. And as she sat down in the chair in front of the mirror, it became obvious very quickly things were not going well. Pieces of hair were gone that should not have been gone. And it, it got worse and worse, but the whole time she stayed silent. By the end of the hour, it was a, a full-fledged disaster. She hated the way that she looked. And when the stylist asked her what she thought, she said, it's great. Thanks. She gave her a big tip and went home. Now, let me ask you. Are these people mature Christians? This woman who was incapable of telling her stylist the truth because she thought it might hurt her or harm her relationship or, or maybe it might make that woman dislike her. This pastor who was abrasive and gruff. Were they mature Christians? Of course not. Now, they'd both done all the things that we'd mentioned. They read the Bible. 
They went to church. They read a bunch of books. They met with people. They were discipled. They had done all the things that they had been taught to do, but they were not mature disciples because they didn't love. Now, what's at the root of that? Those are two very different people. And so I imagine the roots are quite different. What about you? What's at the root of your sin? I don't know. There are as many different reasons behind our sin as there are different people on the face of this earth. But what I want you to hear this morning, the reason why I'm bothering to preach on this again is because I want you to hear that if you want to be mature, if you want to be loving people, you've got to figure that out. You've got to figure out what's going on down there. And the road to maturity, the road to figuring it out, begins by receiving God's love. It begins when we receive God's love in those weak, shame-ridden, embarrassing, sinful places in our lives. Now, I came to a crisis point not too long ago. In that moment, I realized... I didn't really know how to love anybody. I thought I did. But the truth was, most of my relationships I had manufactured. I had presented an image of myself that I thought was acceptable and likable. And I had used people in my life to help me achieve my goal. And that's pretty messed up. I don't like telling you that. I'd like you to think I didn't do that. But it's messed up. It's gross. It's embarrassing. And I had no idea this was doing. But plenty of other people did. I was sharing this revelation uh, with Melissa earlier in the week. And she said, I remember telling you that years ago. <laughs> and you got so mad at me. And we had a huge fight. <laughs> I told you that you just use people to get what you want. And I don't remember that fight, but it sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, how would you respond to that? I'm sure it made me angry. But she was correct. At that time, I couldn't love people because I had not let God show me my most broken places. I hadn't discovered that those places even existed. And I wouldn't for years after that fight with Wilson. I wouldn't until my way of living caused me so much pain that I was forced to face the facts. Until it became more painful to be blind than it was to face it. More painful for me to stay the same than it was for me to change. Last week, I, preaching on this passage, told you that self-awareness is a painful journey. Having those root sins pulled out, those deep motivations exposed, it hurts. It hurt this man in the story. He goes away dejected and despairing. But today I want you to know it doesn't have to kill you. You don't have to make it as hard as possible. You don't have to follow in my footsteps or this man's footsteps. You don't have to wait until you make it to the brink of crisis. Crisis. 
Because Jesus is here now. And he is calling each and every one of you to maturity. He is calling you to grow up in him. To stop living off the milk of spiritual babies. To stop going through your checklist of activities, thinking that's the full sum of the Christian life. And to start eating solid food. To let him expose those deep sins in your heart. And to let him pull them out. That famous verse, that basic gospel message, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. The transforming power of the gospel comes when you're able to put yourself in there. To put your bare and vulnerable and exposed self in the presence of God and then believe those words. To stand in front of His exposing gaze. To let Him see every terrible thing about you. To let Him tell you those truths that others have been trying to tell you about yourself for years. And in that moment, to be able to say that God so loves me and all my junk and all my sin and all my weakness and all those things I'm afraid to admit that I don't want to admit all that terrible stuff that is true God so loved me that he gave his son so that I me this mess could have eternal life the cross is proof that just like this rich man Jesus looks at you and he loves you. He paid for your sins with his life, not to leave you there, but to bring you out of them. And if we can let Christ look at us in love, if we can, in that vulnerable place, look at ourselves with love, then he can start to heal us. Then, in the security of God's embrace, we can actually begin to listen to the things those people in our lives have been trying to say for years. And we don't have to get defensive and angry about it. And we don't have to get ashamed and feel crushed and withdraw and run away from them. Instead, we can sit in it, acknowledge the shame that we feel, and then let Jesus meet us there and call us into a real life. Let light into that dark place. And then, once that's happened, only after we have been loved will we actually be able to love anyone else. Only once you've been loved can you actually love someone in a mature way. Only when we have faced down the worst that we have, let God see us in that place only there will we find the strength to love anybody else the way Jesus loves us. Only then can we be present. Only then 
can we be centered not on ourselves, but on them? It's First John again, right? We love because he first loved us. The road to maturity, it begins when we receive God's love in our weak and shame-ridden places. I want you to imagine for a minute the freedom that you would have in your life if this happened. I want you to imagine the freedom that we would have in our fellowship if we started really loving each other. If we were honest about our sin patterns, our selfish motivations, what would happen if we could take that power away from our enemy? If we could break that stronghold over our lives and over our church and over our relationships and our friendships and over our marriages, what would life be like? Imagine if we loved like Jesus. Well, here's the good news. We will. That's his power. That's what he's doing in our lives. We will. If you belong to Jesus, that's the promise. Right now, he loves you. He is, he is looking at you. And he's ready to speak. I hope you'll be willing to let him. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful. Lord, I'm thankful that you have a grace that is greater than our sin. And I thank you that you have a strength that is strong enough to let us face it. Lord, would you change us? Lord, would you expose the darkest places in our hearts and put us on a path to real Christian maturity? Father, I repent on behalf of the church that we have often confused knowledge about you with knowledge of you. That we have often confused doing for God with being with God. Would you show us how to be your disciples? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.